come a little closer, madam. I want to tell you about something your children will love. This is Ghouls Only Cast, a podcast about lesser-known films across all genres. Who wants to die for art? I told you, no more deaths in the house! Do you feel guilty at all for how much you like this movie? I kind of feel guilty. You know, not at all. I, I am proud to love this movie. I'm excited to love this movie, and I'm excited to talk about this movie. (laughs) Hi, everyone. This is Ghouls Only Cast. This is episode six. Yeah. I mean, I know that that's not like a milestone number, but it is to me, and that's all that really matters. Well, I mean, I'm happy to be part of this somewhat milestone with you. Yeah, so this is Meg, and joining me again is Connor. How are you, Connor? I'm doing all right. All right. We are recording on Thanksgiving. I don't know if this is a new Thanksgiving tradition for us, but hey, it's it's exciting. I think it's pretty exciting talking about a uh, mass shooting on Thanksgiving. Uh, it's the most American thing I can think of. You know, fair point. Very fair point. So the movie we're going to be talking about today is Stalking Laura, or as it was known here in the States, I Can Make You Love Me. I love that title. It's a fantastic it's, title. It's, especially if you look at it, the, the, they have a font for it. And mm-hmm. so uh, I Can Make You is just in this nice white, like kind of standard font. Oh, it's in caps lock. It's though. in caps lock, but it's like kind of a standard movie title. And then Love Me is on its own line and it's in blood red. Mm-hmm. It's just got this mellow dramaticness to it. It's just a joy. I love that title, but we will be referring to it as Stalking Laura for most of this. For brevity. Yes. Uh, plus, that's if you just kind of, if you look on IMDb or anything like that, it's going to come up as Stalking Laura, but still enjoy that other title. Mm-hmm. So Stalking Laura was a made-for-TV movie from 1993, and it was an exclusive CBS Tuesday night movie. And you can actually watch it for in full on YouTube with the commercials intact. Yeah, and that's something special because as you'll, as we'll get into this more, like, you know, the movie, it's kind of goofy, but it deals with a very serious plot. Mm-hmm. And adding the early 90s commercials to it even detracts more from how serious it is. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and let people know we own this movie <laughs> in 4K. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we have gone back and we've we've kind of picked around the uh, YouTube video that has everything intact. And... You know, commercials were really, really different back then. Like, this was pre, like, Old Spice commercials. So, mm-hmm. they're, like, all the commercials don't have this surreal, yeah. trying to be funny thing. Yeah, like, they're, they're not just... trying to grab your attention like commercials are now. Yeah. Uh, they're mostly, like, white backdrop. It's like, yeah. if you wanted to buy yeah. a camcorder, would you go to this guy or yeah. this guy? Yeah, they're, they're more wholesome, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Also worth noting that in addition to having just commercials, there was a particular sponsor for this movie. <laughs> yes. I Can Make You Love Me, The Stalking of Laura Black, brought to you by Grape Nuts Cereal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to have heard like the conversation in the marketing department at Grape Nuts that was like, you know, there's this new movie about a real-life stalker turned mass murderer. Should we put our name on that? Hell yes. yes. Do they still make Grape Nuts? I think so. I've never seen Grape Nuts before. Well, clearly hitching their wagon to stalking uh, Laura didn't work too well for them because... Uh, we don't know if they still exist. Mm-hmm. 
So the movie was based on the true story of Laura Black, who was a techie in the 80s who was stalked relentlessly by a co-worker named Richard Farley. And she suffered through so much creepy bullshit from this guy and she tried avoiding him. She had to move four times and she just she kept begging HR to intervene and they just would keep brushing her off. Until finally, they took it a bit more seriously and Richard was fired, but it was for a reason that was completely unrelated to Laura. Yeah, at least that's what they said. It definitely, you get the sense that like they were trying to save face, trying to avoid some sort of a scene. So they gave like a standard reason for him firing just because of uh, performance. Mm -hmm. I mean, they said that his quality of work had degraded so much, but that was probably because he was so busy obsessing and stalking Laura Black to get any work done. Yeah, from from the sounds of it, that kind of became his full-time job. Mm Mm-hmm. After his dismissal at work, he continued to make Laura's life a living hell for months and just popped up in weird places. He was following her around everywhere, threatening her vaguely, and just smothering her with love letters, amongst so many other things. Mm -hmm. Just generally being a real creep. Absolutely. And unfortunately, being fired did not end his reign of terror, but it seemed like it only threw gasoline on it. Laura was finally able to file a temporary restraining order, but that kind of caused Farley to explode. Because shortly after receiving the order, before appearing in court, he returned to his former place of employment nearly two years after being let go. And he brought several weapons and a shitload of ammunition, and he murdered seven people and injured four. And Laura was one of the injured. It was said that he tried to enter her office, but she smashed the door into his face, and then he just shot through the door once with a shotgun and hit her in the shoulder, but it caused her lung to collapse. He was finally arrested after a long standoff and claimed that he only did all of this to get Laura's attention or to commit suicide if she rejected him again. Yeah, and... No, it's worth noting he did bring a lot of guns and a lot of ammunition to him, but with him. So this whole suicide excuse he came up with is bullshit. Yeah, absolutely bullshit. The guy was fucking insane, mm-hmm. and he's still sitting on death row to this day. Yeah, yeah, he was found guilty for first degree murder, and that's just how death row works. Yeah, in the United been, States. I know there's been a lot of appeals that went all the way up to the California Supreme Court, and yeah, he's still in San Quentin you know, waiting for execution. Mm -hmm. And Laura attended his initial court hearings and he actually still sent her letters from prison claiming, well, you won, Laura. Mm -hmm. Like to just think of it as a winning or losing situation, like how fucking out of touch with reality do you have to be? Oh, absolutely. But I guess, you know, to do what he did, you you really have to be. (laughs) Yeah. Laura Black went back to work for the same company for a really long time and generally fell out of the public eye. I don't know if I could go back and work at the same company in the yeah. same building after all that. I feel like there would just be this horrible like wave of trauma every time I walked in the door. Maybe that's like the half glass uh, empty kind of... Uh, which one's the positive? Which one's the negative one? Half glass full is positive. So half glass full full version of viewing that is you've already had the worst day you could possibly have at that company true so it's all uphill from here Mm -hmm. after this incident you really can't find much more on laura black now like maybe she got married or just changed her name i'm not quite sure i tried really hard to find anything even in the news articles about you know his ongoing appeals i thought there might be some sort of reference to like well what's she up to now i really can't find a thing it's interesting 
but the Richard Farley shooting combined with the murder of actress Rebecca Schaefer shortly afterward caused California to pass the first anti-stalking laws in the United States. Like, I think it's so insane to think that it took until almost the 90s for stalking to be taken seriously in this country, but that's the way it was. Yeah, it's really hard to believe. Mm -hmm. And that was just one state passing that law, right? One state, so. yeah. And you really get to see in this movie how horribly victim-blaming our culture was back then. Like, if you are upset with the way things are now, the things in this movie will make you want to put your head through a fucking wall. Oh, yeah. Every step of the way, it's Laura just being told. Basically, she's leading him on. Yeah. Like, it's her fault. She's just beating her head against she's the brick wall. She's just too damn stockable. <laughs> it Let's see, just Richard Farley. Like, how can you describe him? Like, to me, he looks like a combo of Mark David Chapman and John Lan Landis. Yeah. Who are both murderers yeah, in their I own mean, right. It's, it's a club, you know, kind of schlubby looking guys who, you know, have killed some people. Yeah. In the movie, he's played by Richard Thomas, who is just incredible. Like, the way he plays crazy is just really unintentionally hilarious yeah. but he looks nothing like the oh, real no. richard farley no. the he's, real richard farley was he's big a big heavy set guy uh so yeah definitely not like him but i gotta say i do love his performance in it mm -hmm. you know we'll, we'll say this probably a quite a few times like yeah. this is a very serious topic but yeah. it's it, it's very it's, upsetting it, it's brought to like this kind of entertaining not quite funny though there are funny parts but very entertaining quality mostly due to his performance and yeah. how he plays crazy it's played like a soap opera yeah with like stingers and like dramatic stares and... oh yeah since we're talking about the cast i think we should just get into that part at this point the directing and producing credits for this are unfortunately pretty unremarkable for me like single episodes of quantum leap <laughs> weird short-lived tv shows that look really dull and that kind of stuff yeah, definitely the pinnacle of their career yeah. was this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I agree. if I had to pick a pinnacle for my career, I'd be happy with it. Like, what what do you have on your resume? Stalking Laura. Also known as, I, I can, can make, make you, you love me. me. Yeah. <laughs> Retire. You've done it. But we have two heavy hitters in this cast, so I think we should dive into that. We'll get to Richard Thomas, but I think we should start with the titular character, if you're cool with that. Sure thing. Let's get into it. Yeah, Laura Black is played by none other than the queen of eyebrows herself, Miss Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields has spent practically her whole life with a camera in front of her face. She is actually born of aristocracy, interestingly enough. Her father, Francis Shields, was the son of a high-ranked tennis player and an Italian princess. The princess title in the family was in name only, not like real blood royalty or anything. The title was granted to the family in 1803 by Pope Pius VII because Brooke Shields' grandma's ancestral family had acquired a vast fortune by administering the finances for the Vatican. I like that they administer their finances, get rich doing it, and get the title of princess. Oh, yeah. That's pretty impressive. Also, apparently the Pope can just make people princesses, yeah. which, you know, I think maybe more young women would be interested in Catholicism if they knew that <laughs> was a potential perk. I mean, I'm always learning all this weird shit about the Vatican that just makes no sense to me. Like you said, like, yeah, they can just name you a prince or princess of wherever you come from mm -hmm. because your family did them a solid at yeah. some point. Like, that's incredible. But anyway, this pope in particular, Pope Pius VII, was elected after the previous pope, Pius VI, 
was captured by Napoleon Bonaparte and then died as a prisoner. And then under Pius VII, the Catholic Church expanded exponentially in the United States and he was also imprisoned by Napoleon, but he lived to return to Rome. And he was a staunch opponent of slavery and pushed to have it outlawed in a few countries, but he also reinstated the Jewish ghettos that were abolished by Napoleon. And these, of course, as we all know, confined Jews to shitty fucking ghettos where they couldn't leave and instated strict schedules where they weren't allowed outdoors after sundown. I mean, I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but some sources I saw were very, you know, like la-di-da about like, oh, Brooke Shields actually has aristocratic mm -hmm. blood. But, you know, it all ties back to, hey, we did a solid for this pope right. and reinstated the Jewish ghettos. Yeah. That's kind of it, shitty. It is funny that our conversation about this movie kind of comes down to how different things would be if Napoleon had successfully allowed this pope to die oh, in prison yeah. too. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that seems to be becoming a thing in my podcast where I never like quite mean for it to turn into a history lesson, but there's always like a little bit of history there to be learned. I don't know. I just think it's fascinating. Oh, absolutely. But you know, yeah, it's, it's ultimately really shitty when you get to it, but that's like... Like most events and people in history, like when you go deep enough, everyone is just kind of <laughs> horrible, you know? But yeah, Brooke's dad, Francis, was an executive at Revlon Cosmetics, and her mom, Terry, was a sometimes model, sometimes actress, but it seems to me that she was mainly just like a socialite. Francis and Terry were only married for a few months before they split, and when Terry found out that she was pregnant, Francis's family gave her a big chunk of money to get an abortion, and she pocketed the money, and a few months later, Brooke Shields was born. Her mom was really taken by what a pretty baby she was, so Brooke began doing soap ads and other small gigs from the age of 11 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she really has been in the industry in one form or another basically since birth. Absolutely. And she did quite a lot of modeling and then soon began a foray into acting, starting with a couple bit parts in TV, but then debuting on the big screen as Karen in the underrated horror movie Alice Sweet Alice. You mean starring in Alice Sweet Alice, right? Because I've seen the DVD cover and it's pretty clear Brooke Shields is the star of that oh movie. Oh my god, yeah. So when I was growing up, we had this double feature VHS of Psychomania and Alice Sweet Alice, and it had Brooke Shields really, really big on the front of it. And then I watched it, and I thought that Paula Shepard was Brooke <laughs> Shields until the very end. And it's like, oh, it was that little girl yeah. who was in the movie for like 15 minutes, and, maybe? And even the release of Alice Sweet Alice for Blu-ray from Arrow that came out just a couple years ago still has like, Brooke Shields, Brooke Shields she, in. And she's the only thing on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. And she's in that movie for maybe like two minutes. We know we need justice for Paula Shepard. Yes, I, I, she'll get her justice whenever we finally talk about Liquid Sky. Oh my God, she did two movies. She was amazing, and then she just dipped out. Yep, talk about like once again. If you once you have that on your resume, you're good to retire. But we love Alice, sweet Alice. If you haven't seen it, it's a really really great movie by Alfred Soule. It's just uh, it's like an American Jalo movie. It's a whodunit. Mm -hmm. It's it has a very interesting vibe to it that I really love. For sure. So the next movie of note that Brooke was in was called Pretty Baby, where she played a child prostitute. I haven't seen that movie, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
And this kind of began like a trend that would follow Brooke fairly closely until she took a break from acting to attend college. I mean, I mentioned back in the episode for Cat People that you were in with me Mm -hmm. that Brooke Shields is one of those actresses like um, Nastasia Kinski that's been sexualized from a very young age in her roles. This isn't like the fact that she was the youngest person to be on the cover of Vogue looking much more mature than her years or anything like that. I mean, she was in movies when she was underage where her character is fucking and being fucked. But even before them, around the time that Alice Sweet Alice came out, Terry, her mother, actually signed permission for Brooke to be photographed completely naked for a short-lived publication from Playboy called Sugar and Spice. Again, kind of back to the um, being in a boardroom where a decision is made. Who at Playboy thought this was a good idea? I don't know. Like, people always try to say, like, oh, it was that time then. But you have to keep in mind, she was somewhere between 9 and 11 years old. Yeah. And they tried to make the argument that, like, oh, it's not pornography or anything. It's art. Mm -hmm. But it's in a Playboy publication. Like, no one one ever says, like, that Playboy is, like, high art or anything like that. And out of curiosity... I found these pictures. Oh, yeah? I did. It was kind of hard to find them, but with enough clicking through the right links, you can find Mm -hmm. scans of them. Yeah. And as a female woman person who had a prepubescent female body, I don't see how this could be anything other than, like, really, really bad. Because, I mean, it is just a little naked girl standing up in a tub and she's covered in oil and she has a face full of makeup and you could say like other like she's not doing anything inherently sexual but the fact that she's a little girl she's got a face full of makeup she's completely naked Mm -hmm. and she's like 10 yeah you can try to church that up all you want but it's not yeah it's not good it does it pass the i'm okay with having this on my computer and someone's (laughs) test you know like am i comfortable with someone going through my files and they find that photo oh yeah it made me uncomfortable for sure it made me really really uncomfortable because it's not like saying like oh this is just like a uh, a study of the of the of the young female form or anything it's like no i could see like a full-grown woman that's naked taking these pictures Mm -hmm. but you know there's been a ton of litigation surrounding these pictures and it's just kind of disgusting to talk about no matter how you try to spin it so i think we should just kind of move on from that if you're okay with that (laughs) but it's seemed to really make a precedent. I mean, Brooke was obviously a talented enough actress and she was certainly pretty enough. So she was put into these roles like Blue Lagoon where these two little kids get stuck on an island and they fuck each other or Endless Love that's supposed to be like a stalking Laura-esque story, but it's played as a passionate romance. Like, oh, our parents don't want us to be together. So I have to set your house on fire. It's the kind of movie that convinces people that stalking might work out for them. Oh yeah. And you know, in that movie Brooke gets fucked in a living room while her mom watches the whole thing yeah. like a creep uh-huh what the fuck? there's my little girl Luckily, she had work that was outside the realm of this oversexed awfulness, but these were usually the films that she became best known for. And in between these movies and her modeling, she just skyrocketed to superstardom. I mean, there was even a line of Brooke Shields dolls that just look like repurposed Barbies, and you can find them on eBay, and I kind of want <laughs> one. Like, have you, you've seen them, I've right? I've seen them, yeah. Yeah, where it's just like a box, and most of it is just this huge picture of her face. Yeah. Totally. And I think the 
they even have like the head where mm-hmm. you can like you can do Brooke Shields's hair. Yeah, it's amazing. You can brush your eyebrows. I love her eyebrows. <laughs> I think she's got great eyebrows. But eventually, Brooke took a break from acting to go to Princeton, where the New York Times dragged her because they found her transcripts after she graduated, and Princeton didn't make her take any math, history, or science courses. Maybe they were just jealous. I mean, that yeah. sounds pretty fucking great to me. Mm-hmm. But while she was there, I don't know why I know this, but I guess she was just very she was very open about this yeah. sort of thing. Uh, she lost her virginity to Dean Kane, the dude who played Clark Kent and Lois and Clark. So let me just say, gross. Yeah, I I didn't really know much about him, and I looked up his Twitter, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, but she also dated Michael Jackson for a little bit. I feel like you got to put dated in quotes there. Yeah, I mean, she said that it was totally platonic and, and they really loved each other, but nothing ever really happened. But he really wanted to get married to her and wanted to adopt a bunch of children with her, but she just kind of wasn't having it. She said, like, you know, it was completely platonic and she almost saw him as almost like asexual, but he was just like, I want to marry you. I yeah. want to marry you. I want to marry you. I want to marry you and she was like uh no mm-hmm. <laughs> but she even mentioned later like when she started being sexually active that when she would hang out with him he would ask her like really minute details about like her sexual experiences mm-hmm. you know when she she would say things like like oh he got to second base he'd be like what does that mean for you tell me yeah. in excruciating detail just add it to the <laughs> pile of creepy shit that Michael Jackson has done. Oh, I know. I think like all things aside, like all really glaring things aside about Michael Jackson, we can all agree that he was just, he was a weird guy. Yeah, that's, that's putting it lightly. Yeah. But after Brooke came back from college, she jumped right back into her old life with a heavier concentration in television. She became vocal in advocacy groups in regards to the mental and physical well-being of girls and veganism and has actually written a few books. And one of them was about her serious struggle with postpartum depression and the benefits she had taking Paxil for it, which Tom Cruise decided to take personal offense at and go on a bitch storm about it because it's against his religion to take medicine that's psychiatric in nature. If anyone in Scientology did take psychiatric medicine, they probably wouldn't be in Scientology. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's why they don't like it, because it, it, they would lose so many members from their ranks if they were allowed to take those drugs. Also, I just want to note one thing. I'm very sad that she did not title any of her books Book Shields. <laughs> book Shields by Brooke Shields. Yeah. The missed book. opportunity. <laughs> Another one of her books that she wrote is about the relationship that she had with her mother. And I just gave it a quick once over. I haven't read the book, but it seems like they had a very difficult relationship. And although Terry had her own troubles and signed off on the nude photos and really sexual movies and everything... She was actually so protective of Brooke that Brooke didn't get exposed to some of the really seedy and exploitative parts of child acting that the likes of, like, you know, the two Corys were subjected to. Like, she was put on highly questionable display, but she wasn't taken advantage of because Terry never allowed her to be. She had weird lines that she drew, but she drew them, which is something. (laughs) So like with a lot of things, not everything is black and white. It's just, you know, one of those things, I guess. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Could have been worse, I guess, is the best you can say. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Brooke turned out just fine, despite being a superstar from a very, very young age, which is not terribly too common, especially back in the day when people got away with doing horrible shit to young stars without even being called out. Brooke is really a success story in that respect. And thankfully, the same goes for Richard Thomas who also got started in showbiz very, very young. 
Richard Thomas. You know, I never really thought about Richard Thomas in my life, and now I love him so much. Yeah, he just keeps coming up. Yeah. Richard Thomas plays Richard Farley, and he is just, he is something in this movie. Like, he's mainly known for his character John Boy in the long-running 70s TV show The Waltons, but I think most listeners to this podcast would know him primarily from his role as the adult version of Stuttering Bill in the TV movie version of Stephen King's It. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about that movie quite a bit already, and I'm sure mm-hmm. it'll come up more, but he is a sight to behold in that movie, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, Richard Farley has none of the immense sexual power that Bill Denborough had in that movie. And we know why that is. It's because he didn't have a ponytail. He's missing that ponytail. <laughs> You know, I remember watching the movie when I was, for the first time when I was like 13, it was on TV or something, and I never watched it again because I thought it sucked, and then I finally rewatched it like, what was it, like a year ago or something, and you know, when he came on screen, I was like, I remember there was something about him that I hated, Mm -hmm. and it's because when you first see him, he's head on, like right. typing on a computer. And I was like, is it the mole on his face? I was mm-hmm. like, was I really that shallow? Wow. And then he turns to the side and you're like. <gasps> <laughs> you see it. it it's, a, it's the best jump scare in that whole movie. He turns and reveals that ponytail. But you're right. He, he lost it in this movie. He lost a lot of his sexual power. He is, after all, an erotic version of Samson. <laughs> Oh my god. I think like we just need to talk about it at some point. For sure. Because, you know, we've had Annette O'Toole, we've mm-hmm. had Richard Thomas. No Seth Green yet, but maybe one day. One day. So <laughs> Richard Thomas started acting on Broadway when he was seven years old, which isn't hard to believe because he was a Manhattan native son. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Did I use that term right? Native son? Yeah. Yeah. He's a native son of Manhattan. But he was the son of two professional ballet dancers. His parents were both lifelong dancers that met while dancing for the same company and later went on to found the New York School of Ballet together in the early 60s. They both taught at the school until Richard's mother passed at the age of 56. Very young. Very, very young. And Richard's father continued teaching until the school was forced to shut five years later. He then went on to teach ballet to children from the New York public school system until retiring to a farm to breed, show, judge, and give seminars about purebred dogs. It's so incredible. He apparently specialized in uh, Brussels Griffons, the Pekingese, and English toy spaniels. All hilarious looking dogs. So good for him. I mean, one of my favorite comedies ever is Best in Show. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I find out that someone like does this sort of thing, I'm like, oh, God, it's yeah. like Best in Show. <laughs> and it seems like it would be so fitting to be like, well, I'm I'm a retired professional ballet right. dancer. Do you think and now I breed they, dogs. When they had him like walk the dog around, he did some pirouettes and stuff. Ooh. That'd be great, right? Oh, yeah. Pick up the dog, uh-huh. swing it around. Sw- yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Get some <laughs> extra points that way. Hell yeah. So as I said before, Richard Thomas debuted on Broadway at the age of seven, and the very next year he was on a live NBC telecast of A Doll's House. I'd never really heard of it. I looked into some of the other actors that were in it that were of note, and a lot of it was stuff that I didn't know. One of the guys was in Shadow of a Doubt, but it was a minor role in (laughs) Shadow of a Doubt. I don't know. And then when he was young, he got turned down from at least one gig because, like I said before, he does have this pretty large birthmark on his face, but he's been steadily working his entire life since then. He's had a major focus in television for his career, gaining international acclaim with the Waltons and being tethered to the line, Goodnight John Boy Forever. (laughs) 
I mean, I know my mom used to say that to me. Yeah. It's weird having been being tethered to a catchphrase that your character never said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think I read like a, a thing with him where he said like, yeah, I accept that goodnight John boy is going to be on my fucking tombstone. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he said fuck because he's a good boy. But yeah. <laughs> he actually got an Emmy for the role of John boy and he crashed his car on the way to the ceremony while trying to think of a speech in case he won. From what I can tell, he's just constantly working, mostly in television or on stage. He's been in so many Broadway shows and TV shows and movies. It makes me kind of sad to say that I've only seen him in this and then in It. But God, I mean, what a great sampler platter so far. In the 80s, he had four kids, including triplets. And there's just this slew of articles about his kids. And they even did a bunch of Minute Maid orange juice commercials together. Mm-hmm. Mostly focusing on the triplets. That one kid was... Was so left out. Yeah, they kind of like edge him out of frame mm-hmm. in it. It's kind of sad. You don't come in a set. Get out of here. <laughs> a little bit after the time that Stalking Laura came out, he was diagnosed with a disease that affects the bones of the middle ear called cochlear otosclerosis, which caused him to lose about half of his hearing. And then this turned him into an advocate of hearing related issues. And he actually sits as the chairman for the Better Hearing Institute. From what I can tell, he's just a really nice, normal dude. Not the wackadoo he plays in this fucking movie. Uh, I found his Twitter, and it's really, really cute. He went on, like, a tweeting marathon for the Oscars in 2012 and ended it with, Good night, everyone, and then just logged out and never signed back in again. But before that, it's like eating dinner with the fam yeah. and stuff like that. Like just like, oh, so wholesome. So some, somehow these two very different but incredibly interesting people came together for this strange TV movie about a mass murder that's frankly pretty hilarious until the guns come out. I mean, I feel like it's in really poor taste to say that it's hilarious because all parties are playing it pretty straight and it's based on a real life tragedy, but... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, of course, again, you know, we we do emphasize this was a real thing that did happen. Mm-hmm. People really did die. But this is a made-for-TV movie in the early 90s. Yeah. It's got a certain charm for it. There's a certain kind of melodramaticness to it that is, frankly, funny. And we just can't ignore that. And if it wasn't for that aspect of it, we probably wouldn't be talking about this movie right now. Absolutely. I mean, while I watch it and the way everything is delivered... I just think, like, this is how those V.C. Andrews adaptations are supposed to be played. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I went back and I watched that Flowers in the Attic Lifetime one, and it is just dog shit. It's so bad. It's supposed to be like this. Yeah. It's supposed to be like, okay, you know what? Future podcast for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Review all the V.C. Andrew adaptations and why they're terrible. God. (laughs) Okay, so I think at this point we owe everyone an explanation for our statement about how it's hilarious. So let's just get into the plot. I hope you are feeling intensely romantic today because this is stalking Laura. So the movie starts with Laura's family having a going away cookout. You can briefly see a boom operator. So glad to see he was invited to the picnic as well. Yeah, when we watched it on YouTube, it was still in the the right ratio. So you don't see them. But, you know, it's funny because the first time we watched it it was in 4K and we didn't notice him. But I remember when we went back and watched it, I was like, wait, who's that? Yeah. And then I was like, wait, he's got a wire. (laughs) It's someone who must, they must have not re-shot the scene because they knew they were filming for TV. And at the time, TV 
TV was not widescreen, so mm-hmm. they knew he was going to get cropped out. Yeah. But now if you watch it in widescreen, you see him. You see all of them. Mm-hmm. So they're having a cookout and they're having, you know, the traditional cookout food, which is pie, lemonade, and coffee. <laughs> yeah, great combo. Yeah. Wasn't it like, didn't you say something about like, what what's an Arnold Palmer? Yeah, so like an Arnold Palmer is when you mix tea and lemonade. So I'm wondering, what do you call a drink where you mix coffee and lemonade? Coffee, lemonade, and pie. It's a Laura Palmer. Exactly. That works on so many different levels. Yeah. But it would probably give you really fucking horrible heartburn. Like the second season of Twin Peaks. Oh, <laughs> the first part's not that bad. <laughs> but we get an exposition dump right here. You know, Laura's just graduated from college and she's moving from Virginia to Silicon Valley for a job it has really wooden acting that's really typical of the time you know like dad this is the big leagues i'm sorry to see you go kid but i know it's for the best can't you get somewhere a little bit closer dad yeah you know this is big for me Mm -hmm. one thing that i did notice in this scene and some of the other ones like brooke shields's eyes are really really red in this movie like i guess wherever she was staying the pool was overchlorinated or something <laughs> we'll never know so then the next thing we see is that she leaves home to some sweet ass smooth mm-hmm. jazz a nice driving montage mm-hmm. in her tiny ass little clown car volkswagen was it rabbit a volkswagen rabbit convertible and she has all of her possessions in it apparently now it's called a it's called a golf i think yeah it was a predecessor to that it was supposed to be the the car that replaced the the beetle oh yeah you can never replace the beetle they have i hate it (laughs) but we see here you know she's driving all the way from virginia to california or in this case to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where this was actually shot. No, it was shot in Topeka, Kansas. Oh, that's right. Topeka, Kansas. Yeah. And then we get the title card that comes up I can make you love me. (laughs) (laughs) What a fucking amazing title. It just, it really does read kind of like a VC Andrews novel. Absolutely. It's great. Maybe I'm just thinking about VC Andrews a lot. I think that's part of the appeal of this movie. Yeah. Well, no, I've been reading those books. True. Yeah. If anyone wants to talk to me about the Castile series, I just finished the second book. But yeah, it definitely feels like it's like a Hallmark Channel movie that was just bold enough to have a mass murder scene. Yeah. (laughs) We get a lot of long shots of her driving for several minutes with the jazz over it, showing how vast and boring the country truly fucking is. How are there? There's always like tons of fields and then there's just some random building Mm -hmm. just sitting in the middle of it. Like that's America. Yeah. Everyone thinks that America is like, oh, New York, Chicago, L.A. It's like, no, it's a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. And what I say, one thing they get correct here, especially for the time, is when she does finally uh, get to California, it's not like, you know small town girl gets the big city kind of thing silicon Mm -hmm. valley especially at this time is office parks next to strip malls and Mm -hmm. so that's what she gets to like her big like i've made it to california it's just some office park yeah she gets from virginia to california it looks like in one night (laughs) it is supposed to take place in california but like we said before much of the movie was actually shot in topeka kansas but she shows up for her new job at kenzatron electronics international as a design engineer the real life company was called electromagnetic systems laboratory basically it was what would you would you say like a private contractor for the u.s government yeah they definitely focused on you know, military and intelligence applications. But yeah, uh, and they were often ref- short in their name to ESL. 
because yes, obviously are. that is quite a mouthful. Yeah. Similarly, in this movie, their fake company, they shorten it to KEI. Yeah. One of the things that I really liked about this movie, all the old tech in it, like early 90s desktops with those big ass chunky monitors. Yeah, it, it definitely kind of captures a certain vibe of what the technology industry was like at the time. Because here, you know, she does say I'm going off to Silicon Valley. And that today means a lot of different things. But something to remember at this time, like this was pre-dot-com boom. So when you went to Silicon Valley, you were going to work for a company that made equipment or software for like banks or the government. Like it was mm-hmm. not sexy. <laughs> so it, it's very different from where it is today. Is it sexy now? It was until 2016, and then suddenly <laughs> everyone's like, ooh, Facebook is not so great anymore. Mm-hmm. But there was a period of time where totally, yeah. you know, it was. Connor's a computer man. I am a computer man. <laughs> Thank you, computer man. <laughs> Watching Stalking Laura really makes me want to watch the IT crowd. <laughs> So at this point, Laura is just getting her tour of the building and is shown her workstation by her superior named Chris when who comes bounding around the corner like a fucking golden retriever but Richard Thomas. A wonderful introduction. Oh my gosh, yeah. He's like on the other side of a window and he just like hammers on it and then just like bounds around the corner. Like his acting style in this was just jaw-dropping the first time (laughs) I saw it. Like I think I had to pause the movie and just be like, what? Because <laughs> he's just like, we've got the clock up to 20 megahertz with no sign of failure. And then he turns to Brooks and he's like, excuse me. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to bust in. Yeah. Like that's kind of like the way he acts. Is like he's always just like, like he enunciates every word, but like kind of weird. And particularly funny about this scene is like, she's standing right next to Chris, the guy he's talking to this whole time. Mm-hmm. So he comes bounding in excited. And he says that whole sentence, and then it's as if he saw her for the first time after yeah. saying the sentence. So he acts like he's so surprised to see her. when, Like he, he, has, like he has no object permanence exactly. and she just materialized. Exactly. Chris says that they're going to lunch and then he, he invites Richard along and he's just like, that sounds good. And then they go with it. And I mean, I... I've never worked in a corporate setting or mm-hmm. anything like that. So I remember thinking like, if someone invites you to lunch, you say no. You know, it's, but... Yeah, no, that's not it at all. This kind of thing happens all the time. You know, if a couple people are going to lunch, someone else is going to join in. Mm-hmm. It always happens. They go to lunch and Chris is talking to her about their softball team and Rich asked Laura if she's found an apartment yet. I mean, that's an innocent question, but he's really weird and intense when he right. says it. Like, I don't think Richard Thomas blinks in this scene. <laughs> at least when he's looking at her, he doesn't blink. Yeah. So, and, so and, he does it. Wasn't that an Aerosmith song? Do what to close my I eyes. I think you're right. <laughs> but yeah, when he asks that question, it's like he's saying, if not, you know, I've got this great hole in my basement I could rent out to you. <laughs> I have this dog named Precious. Uh-huh. She's really sweet. Now you hurt my fucking dog. <laughs> she tells him that she hasn't got anywhere to live. She's just, she was just focused on showing up. And I can't imagine doing that today. Like just moving all the way across the country for a job and you don't have anywhere to live yet. Like, that just seems unthinkable to me. It happens. I mean, at this point, Rich is trying to be really, well, Rich. I'm already talking (laughs) like I know him. Excuse me. Richard is just trying to be helpful at this point, telling her that the company has a newsletter and it has some, that it has some ads for roommates in the back. But he just stares at her. So this movie could have steered off into uh, single white woman territory. Single white female. Single white female territory. But instead, she already had her own stalker, so she didn't have to go look for one. In the... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, when 
after he tells her this and then she's like oh well thank you you can see behind her eyes that her like oh shit meter like (laughs) just went up a little bit i mean we all have an oh shit meter like when there's just something slightly off about someone when you first meet them and it's not like a superficial thing or anything like but it it is usually right like you get that feeling in your gut like oh yeah something's a little loose in here Mm -hmm. you know that that face of just like I think the answer to my question just convinced him he might want to kill me. Kind of, kind of thing. <laughs> At this point, Richard gives them all a ride back to the office and he drives this like fucking huge compensation truck <laughs> that is, he says that it's meant for skiing. Yeah, it's a uh, monster hunting truck. It's got like the full blinder headlights right. and then it has the stack of lights that go across the roof right. of the car. It kind of looks like you would expect the back of it just to be filled with like crucifixes, wooden stakes, and garlic. And he's like, we're going hunting tonight. <laughs> or he just has a decal on the side that says Grave Digger. Uh-huh. The second that she gets into the truck, he asks her if she's ever been to a tractor pull before. And when she says no, he reaches across her to get into the glove box. He's like, I got two tickets to one this weekend. If you Do you want to go out with me? And um, the way he asks her is just so intense. And it's kind of like a dog. Yeah. Almost, or like you go, you want to go, you want to go, yeah. you know. Like, I mean, when when I first saw this, I hadn't like, what the fuck is a tractor pull? <laughs> Do you know what a tractor pull is? Vaguely, I knew what it was. What is it? It's basically what it sounds like. You know, you have people who have like souped up tractors where they race to pull heavy things. Wow, that yeah. sounds like a great first date. Yeah, and he had two tickets ready to go because you know he's very romantic like that. Yeah, that really begs the question kind of that he already had two tickets so yeah. it's like makes you wonder like was it was just whoever walked in the door that day yeah who knows but you know of course she turns him down because he wants to go to a fucking tractor pull and he's acting kind of <laughs> he's a makes me nervous and i'm yeah. not even in the truck he does not seem to take it well like there's and but there is like a really non-weird way he could have asked it you know he could have said I know you just moved to this place. You probably don't know a lot of people. I'm going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to come. Yeah. It, no, you no, know, it, it's like it sure beats, you know, staring at a wall or having to, you know, something or other. Yeah, The way he has it definitely comes off like, do you want to come to this tractor pull with me? And while we're there, we can plan our wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next we see is that Laura is looking to rent a room at an artist's apartment. So we have an artist living in Silicon Valley because New York is too expensive. Yeah, shows you how much things have changed. Yeah. The, the artist asked, uh, do you remember what her name is in it? Because I don't. No. Artist lady. Artist lady. She like paints fire escapes. Yeah. Like that's her thing is I paint fire escapes. Uh-huh. But the artist asked what the male to female ratio was at her office. And instead of going off about like, we need more women in tech, she just chastises herself for choosing art history because it was mostly women and gay men. Like, yep. I should have gone into engineering. That's where all the dick is. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but she asked Laura how long it will take to move in. And then there's just this lingering long shot of Brooke Shields just smiling at her. Her fucking slutty smile. Yeah, that smile. I mean, frankly. She's asking for it. She, she just keeps asking for it with that smile. The the slutty smile quip is going to make more sense later on. <laughs> 
But the next day, Laura goes in early at work at about seven, I think, and she runs into a woman who helps her get checked in. The security clearance thing keeps coming up as like a foreshadowing thing in this movie. And Laura thanks her and she's like, you know, is there anything I can do to repay you? And the woman just looks at her and goes, first base? Yeah. Brooke Shields gets this face that basically is like, am I going to have to make out with this woman right now? (laughs) Is everyone in this company hitting on me? Yeah, but then it it turns out she's talking about the softball team. Yeah. So, unfortunately, she's been suckered into playing for the softball team. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... <sighs> it doesn't seem like a fair trade. You open a door for someone once, and now you're on the softball team. I just... You know, even like when I was in school, it's like when I leave this place, I don't want to <laughs> come back ever so, you know, if I was working at some at some place, it's like, hey, on the weekend, do you want to come with all the work people and play softball? Fuck no, yeah. I don't. I see you here. I don't see you anywhere else. <laughs> but Laura's now been suckered into playing for their lame-ass company softball team, and she goes to her desk, and Richard is... She has to unlock the door to get in. Yes, yeah, so she has her own office. Yeah, but Richard is sitting at her desk. Yeah, he got through the lock. He got through the lock somehow and she's like, "What? how the fuck did he get in here? But he's like, oh, I couldn't sleep. And you know what I do when I can't sleep? I bake. And he just pulls out this loaf of blueberry bread <laughs> and gives it to her. He's like, the secret is the lemon zest. Yeah. Which I mean, that sounds pretty fucking good. It does, but <laughs> he it's such a creepy way, right? You, you'd have to wonder like, you put something in this? Yeah. And you know, how did you get inside the locked door? He references like, I've got great security clearance. I can get in anywhere, which is another great thing to hear from your stalker. Absolutely. I can get in anywhere. Well, and that makes you wonder, too. She came in at seven. How long has he been there? I imagine he's been sitting there since like four in the morning, just staring at the clock, never blinking, waiting for her to show up. Yeah, he got really lucky that she decided to come in early. He would have been there all day if he had to. <laughs> what the hell? I guarantee you if she was sick that day, he'd get like 10 calls to her home phone. Just like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Don't you want my bread? Well, he even said that uh, like he didn't sleep all night. Yeah, he's a creep. Yeah. It was a recurring theme. <laughs> yeah, he, you know... This movie called Stalking Laura, there's a pretty creepy guy in it. Yeah. I mean, but there is another non-creepy way he could have gone about doing this. He just went the whole route. If he would have just showed up later in the day, knocked on the door and Mm -hmm. said, Hey, I feel like we kind of got off on a weird foot yesterday. I didn't want to seem so forward, but let's, let's meet again. Yeah. My name is Richard. I like to bake. Yes. I made this blueberry loaf. Mm -hmm. Would you like to try some? Yeah. Like, that's all you have to do. Because the thing is, is that, I mean, I'm speaking for myself here. Mm -hmm. But when you have a crush on somebody, you're weird. Yeah. You're a really creepy, weird person. And it's just, how do you navigate around that so that they don't realize how weird you are about them? Yeah. It's the difference between saying, hi, my name's Rich. Nice to meet you. Versus, hi, my name's Rich. Can I have some of your hair? (laughs) But Laura just takes the bread and looks absolutely dumbfounded and he practically like skips oh, away. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't you read that in real life that was like a real A daily occurrence. He would just like bring her baked goods and D- call her bake. and just harass her daily. But yeah, baked goods were part of the harassment. You know It's it... a cruel thing to turn pastries into a form of oh, abuse. Oh god, I know. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where I kind of like have to cock my head a little bit and just be like, that sounds kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
At least he's not leaving like dead birds at my desk. Oh yeah, well, like what? What's that one part in uh, that episode of The Critic when the lady's really obsessed with him? He's like, "I see you're dangerously obsessed with me." I like that. Woman. <laughs> <laughs> but the next scene we see is at night, and Laura is at some kind of aerobics class, like in Ninja Three. Yeah, yeah, it's a very late '80s, early '90s kind of aerobics class. Oh, Lots yeah. of bright colors, some spandex, some music there to get you pumped up, get oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah, the lyrics are like, get crazy. (laughs) Very, very appropriate. And you know, who comes sauntering up to the window to stare at Laura? And Richard's using one of those like hand strengthener squeezy things like while he just unblinkingly stares at Laura, like doing squats and stuff like, I gotta get my hand ready for later. (laughs) I think it, it served two purposes. One, he was exercising the hand, which, like you said, he's going to use later. Mm-hmm. But also, it's like his disguise to sneak in there. It's like in case anyone questions why he's there staring at women exercises, he just points at like that little grip thing. It's like, you see, I'm, I'm working out too. You know, I'm part of this gym. Feel the burn. Yeah, yeah. No pain, no gain, right, uh-huh. fellas? Getting that sick pump, right? <laughs> And then when she goes to leave, he does the most fucking horrible, stalkery way to approach her when she leaves. Like, she walks to her car as normal, and then all of a sudden, he just turns the high beams on his car. Yeah, like, and bear in mind, this is a car. It doesn't just have, you know, it's two headlights in the front. Mm-hmm. He has a row of lights, of that, lights right. on the roof of his car. Yeah. So it definitely, it's, again, it's like she's being hunted. Oh, it gets yeah. Turned on. It's that kind of thing. It's, I think you referenced, like, it's Christine. like Christine, right? Yeah. Like, when that happens, your immediate thought must be, like, I'm, I'm about gonna, to be killed. Yeah, I'm gonna like, die. Someone's gonna run me over with this. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember watching it, like, for the first time. He did that, and you just kind of, you know, in Christine, where when the lights go on, there's like that, pew! Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's kind of like that. And then what I love is, he, so he flashes those high beams at her Mm -hmm. in this terrifying way, and he just kind of jogs out like funny i run into you here it's like you clearly are stalking her you clearly were waiting in the dark for the moment she starts walking to her car so you could flash your high beams right in her face and then you pretend like what a surprise yeah he he, he, like comes out he's like what a surprise Uh you found anywhere to live yet Mm -hmm. it really does make you see like again like hey i got got a hole in my basement Uh that you can live in there's a hole still open if you want it the last tenant i had to cut out i mean push out i mean she moved out. There's plenty of her fingernails <laughs> down there for you to play with. It just needs to clean up a little bit. Ignore the blood. And then after he asks if she has anywhere to live, yeah, he says that he has two tickets for The Temptations and asks her to go with him. <laughs> Apparently, they were famous for the song, My Girl. That's right. <laughs> Are you not into tractor pulls? All right, Temptations. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep going. Whatever you're into. Cockfighting, church, wrestling. I've got tickets for everything. I just need you to say yes. Like that joke in The Simpsons where he buys the whole season yeah, of tickets. Yeah. He's like, ooh, voices of the elderly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he he bought every possible ticket to any possible event you could ever want to go to. He's just kind of like flip through that book. How about this? Uh, how about this? How, are you available next Saturday? Next Sunday? You know, mm-hmm. he's not going to take no for an answer. Oh, yeah. And when she says like, oh, I can't go to the concert. I'm busy that night. He just, yeah, automatically asks for another date at a different time. 
time. And she says, I don't think it's a good idea for us to date. And he's like, you know, it's hard for us to have a relationship if you keep refusing to go out with me. Uh-huh. Just like it's this foregone he's conclusion. He's committed to this relationship. Um, Why can't she be? I was going to introduce you to my mom. She's really <laughs> looking forward to meeting you. I mean, Laura just says, like, I just want a professional relationship with you. And she gets in her car. And then he just, like, goes and starts, like, like hammering on her window. And she rolls it down. And he's like, I don't think it's such a good idea to wear such a sexy looking top in public. It might give the wrong impression. Yeah. So first instance of this is your fault. Yeah. Which becomes a recurring theme. Yeah. This is all your fault. And keep in mind, she is wearing uh, leggings that go over her belly button. And she's wearing like a sports bra that doesn't even really show anything. And she was wearing a sweater over that. Yeah. But the next thing we see is a softball game. Mm-hmm. Like, man, this this company is just all about their softball. I mean, they seem like they're all in, but everyone's wearing jeans. Yeah. And we see Rich take his recurring approach to Laura, which is <laughs> Laura is doing something. And he just kind of meanders up to her and like starts talking to her about something unrelated or like semi-related to what's going on. Oh, yeah. And she just kind of has to try to ignore him, but he keeps on going. Yeah, he does. He has kind of this like penguin walk and you find out later like in a really offhand line when he's talking to the hostage negotiator he's like i have bad knees Uh so richard thomas has this like kind of like he shuffles over to her yeah he (laughs) shuffles along but richard is not on the softball team and so when laura goes up to bat he's behind the fence and he's just like laura i want to discuss the terms of our relationship i think we should go out after the game and talk about it and she's just like what the actual fuck i don't want to go out with you and then he just starts criticizing the bat that she's using and then heckles her when she gets two strikes Uh like girls love it when you heckle them and say that they're not doing things right Mm -hmm. it really really gets their motor going (laughs) and then she does get a hit and then when she gets to first base she looks back at richard and is just kind of scowling a little bit and then the girl in first says that you should really take it up with management if he's bothering you this much and she's just like i can handle it Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then the lady on first is just like hey if you keep looking at him like that he won't bake you any more blueberry bread yeah oh no mm-hmm. she's like that's what i want him yeah <laughs> and then laura and the girls start laughing together and then it it shows richard and the laughs like start echoing around yeah. his head like crazily and then the camera starts slowly zooming up on him yeah and it does a dutch tilt uh-huh. to show you like he's going crazy right. this is like his <laughs> They're all gonna laugh at you moment. Like he's these these <laughs> this is his breaking point. Some girls at first base were laughing at him and so he's gone nuts. And then it's not as prominent in the first few scenes but like as the movie progresses it looks like the the makeup department what they decided to do was to brush his eyebrows up so Uh that they come up in like two spikes it's it's the window into his madness his eyebrows become more and more unkempt (laughs) i mean look up a picture of like david hemmings when like really late in life david hemmings Mm Man, what happened to him? I don't know, but it's it's magnificent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but his eyebrows, like, start doing that. Like, they start taking on this, like, Anton LaVey Satan-y mm-hmm. look. But then the next scene that we see, Richard goes to a woman's office who seems to be, like, a office manager or someone in HR. And he says, hey, one of the techs overheard that the new hire, Laura Black, has a birthday coming up. And he wants to know the exact date so that they can all, like, su- make a little surprise party for her. And the lady's just like, oh, yeah 
of course. And she brings up the database of Laura's info and he sneaks just like a huge peek at it. Of course, Laura does not have a birthday coming up. He's just trying to find out her address. Right. So then we see Laura pull up to her apartment and Richard is already there with a wrapped present. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he just, again, he just kind of wanders up to her, recurring theme. So he gives her this present and she opens it up and it's this RC bulldozer, like for little little kids. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you're going to act like such a little kid, I thought I'd give you a toy. Kind of thing. Like, oh, like yeah. basically. I saw you making faces at me and if you're going to act like a child, I'm going to treat you like one. Right. Like being indignant, like he's the spouse that's been mocked in public or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she, she really hurt their relationship relationship and so yeah she gets this uh rc toy which i like in the next scene we see her roommate actually playing with seems like it was a pretty sweet bulldozer he, you know he committed to it he bought he, he spent the money on it he could have gotten one oh, that yeah. was cheaper but he decided to commit to it and get her a genuinely good toy <laughs> Yeah, but the next scene, like you said, is the roommate playing with the bulldozer while she reads the letter that came with the bulldozer. (laughs) And basically the letter says, like, I'm going to keep asking you out until you say yes nicely. Yeah. Again, making it seem like it's Laura's fault. Right. You've been very rude and you better shape up. Mm-hmm. kind of thing her roommate just tells laura like you have to go to hr about this but laura really insists like i can handle this you know she's in a male-dominated field and she's the only woman in her department and basically feels like everyone is just waiting for her to screw up or just be like oh yeah the woman mm-hmm. the the woman trying to spoil everything yeah And she is just like, you know, she's not going to let some weirdo get in the way of her career and then be a victim. And her roommate just really keeps pushing her to take this seriously. But Laura really just like does not want to hear any more of it. And just I think her her approach that she wants is like, I'm going to ignore this situation and I'm going to ignore him. Right. She's hoping that by just being distant, not giving him anything he wants, that he's eventually going to stop. Yeah. And the next scene that we see is after another softball game and they're all getting beer and sandwiches and hanging out Mm -hmm. and i believe you found out where this was yeah so this was a a real life restaurant so it's a chain of restaurants called togo sandwiches but there was a real life one that was just down the street from where esl's headquarters was Mm -hmm. and so it still exists pretty sure it's the right one uh and we looked up its menu which will come up (laughs) <laughs> in a minute here but uh yeah so this is a real place and i know like you found like the old headquarters and you're like here's the sandwich places and you zoomed out and you're like oh my god there's a softball diamond right uh, there exactly <laughs> it's all coming together it's almost like it actually happened uh-huh. but i you know it's just why the fuck are we so invested in this i got way too invested movie? i was looking at maps from like the early 90s of sunnyvale to try to like can i piece this together <laughs> And then, you know, once again, you know, everyone's hanging out, getting beer, getting sandwiches, and Richard is there. He's the only person there who's not on the team. Mm-hmm. And he, he just keeps yeah, like talking Laura, to Laura. Laura's in these conversations with other people, and he keeps, like, from the other side of the table, trying to add his little quips add his little thing into the conversation. And she, just, she just ignores him. Yeah. When they when they actually put in the food order, he's like, you better get a number 26, the cheese, ham, and, and turkey. It's the best. Mm-hmm. And um, she gets a number 29 instead. And his face just darkens. Yeah. Like, 
oh my god this, this is the worst thing yeah. she's ever done <laughs> it, it, i love it. it it is it's treated like it's a very serious moment for him as he says get a number 26 she gets a number 29 and he is just like what did you do <laughs> spurn my alabaster charms mm-hmm. ere this night does wane you will taste the black sperm of my vengeance mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god i mean he even wore his best butter colored sweater vest for the occasion <laughs> and she didn't even notice yeah and you know we looked up the menu and the number 26 is that sandwich uh-huh. <laughs> it's still on the menu still exists and it is turkey and ham but but there is no number 29 i know now this is a mystery was there a number 29 at some time at some point and it was retired oh god it's possible there's like a number 31 on the menu oh, shit. so this is the thing if you listeners out there if you went to a togo's in the early 90s or late 80s was there a number 29 we need to know <laughs> We probably sound like, like, you know what? Most people who are listening to this episode are probably just like, what the fuck even is this stupid ass, (laughs) boring TV movie? And who are these two dumb fucks that are so obsessed with a sandwich menu? To which I would say, fair enough, but also watch the movie and see how you feel afterwards. (laughs) But I really love the way Richard looks in the scene. Like he really does look like a prep school D-bag from like a 80s skiing movie. Oh yeah. My father bought the mountain. My father father said to order the number 26 (laughs) but then the next day she and her roommate go to her car in the morning and they see all of laura's tires on her car have been slashed should have ordered that number 26 that's what you get for not getting the number 26 you fucking bitch (laughs) (laughs) and you know she shows up to work in a different car and richard is watching her from the rearview mirror of his truck and his eyes are bugged out of his head Mm -hmm. (laughs) like one of those again subtle moments from richard thomas of like when he's in this role he just does this he he does crazy in this very particular way that's so entertaining like when it's like it shows the rearview mirror and then it swivels around to his face and his eyes are just like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's kind of like you know think about when you're a little kid and you thought that if you just stared harder at something you could like zoom in (laughs) that's exactly what he's Mm -hmm. doing like if i stare harder i can see better yeah he's staring whole time thinking i can make you love me (laughs) just doing it through sheer force of will was it like white zombie yeah exactly he's like bella lugosi oh yeah he needed to get the hand motion down right i can make you love me So she gets out of another car at work, you know, obviously she couldn't drive her normal car and he's watching her like a psycho and then he just pops out and runs to her and is like, oh my God, I heard that someone slashed your tires. Like, motherfucker, are you serious? (laughs) Who else could it have been? Yeah, it's very much like that, that, you know, the Eric Andre, you know, shooting Hannibal and the who shot Hannibal? (laughs) Who would slash your tires? Like, first of all, clearly she's not told anyone that someone slashed her tires. She just got to work. Well, he said that Chris said. Mm, likely story. Mm-hmm. He slashed her tires. Yeah. He's, he starts talking to her a little bit while she's just walking forward trying to ignore him. And he's like, sounds like someone's trying to make you pay attention. And she's just like, no one makes me do anything that I don't want to. Like a total badass bitch. Mm-hmm. Like really, really good pissed off energy. Yeah. You know, she's like, I called the cops. And he's like, well, there were no witnesses, so they can't really do much for you. And she said, well, they said I should get a restraining order against you. And there's like a like one second where there's like this, oh, shit, look across uh-huh. his face. And then he just goes back to normal. And he's just like, I don't want any cops around me ever. It would be a real big mistake. 
Anyway, uh, do you want to go to Pet Boys to get new tires? It'll be like a date. Yeah, seriously. Again, to the idea of... Just on a dime, just like that. Yeah, he, he does switch on a dime. The other thing is, there is literally nothing he won't do for a date. Like, he tried tractor pulls. He tried the Temptations. How about Pet Boys? You have to go. Like, he even yeah. said that he you can use his Pet Boys charge card. Right. Oh, ooh la la. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at this point, Laura finally goes to HR, and the, the lady is just like... He's one of our highest regarded engineers and just keeps making all these excuses for him mm-hmm. and needling Laura and twisting her words around to make it seem like she was asking for him to act this way towards her. Like at the end when Laura is kind of trying to explain herself and she is just, she seems really confused. Yeah. And so she's still like smiling. And she's giving us like this nervous smile. Yeah. She's giving a nervous smile and the lady just kind of leans back and is like, do you always smile at people that way? Like, what the fuck? It's her fault he's doing all this because she smiles Mm -hmm. at people? If she didn't smile at anyone, you'd have to hear the whole, like, you know, you'd be a lot prettier if you smiled. And then she might get even called into HR and be like, you know, morale's been Mm -hmm. such and such and we care a lot about our company's image. So you should smile a little Mm -hmm. bit more, you know, like, what the fuck? And so Laura is at her aerobics class again that night and she looks up and guess who runs up next to her and just joins in on the on the class. Uh guess fucking who? Yeah. <laughs> he tells her that HR had a talk with him and he's supposed to leave her at work now, but they can't tell him what to do outside of work. Yeah. Caught him in a technicality. So he is basically admitting here that he knows exactly what he's doing. Oh yeah, he's he's well aware of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. The next thing that we see is that Richard lives in like a back apartment to his coworker Nancy's house and he's knocking up some more storage space in it and like doing some other DIY in exchange for reduced rent. And when he's doing it, he says that he found her old skis and it's like, you, me and Laura should go to Tahoe this year. Yeah, completely delusional, you know, planning vacations for this girlfriend he doesn't have. Yeah, and Nancy is, she's like, can I give you some advice? Laura doesn't want to date you. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like he should really just stop trying to force a relationship. And he just ignores that by going to Laura's place the next morning and taking pictures of her. I love this scene because, you know, it's done in the POV shot from the camera, Mm -hmm. right? Like the standard, like, you can tell you're looking through a DSLR, you're hearing the clicks, you can tell, like, photos are being taken. And it'd be the kind of thing where you'd normally expect, oh, he's, like, hiding in his car or he's hiding in the bushes or something like that. He's snake- taking these sly <laughs> photos of her. And then it cuts because you like the last thing you see from that POV shot is she's... Laura looking right at it, yeah. like very distressed. And then it cuts to what she's seeing. He's just standing in her yard, <laughs> like broad daylight. He's just, he's like a foot away from a bush, just standing in her fucking yard taking pictures. And she's just like, what the fuck? Exactly. He's not even trying to hide. He is not hiding even a little bit. And she just went out to get the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And then we get this incredible montage of him writing like is like a voiceover of him like writing like these frantic love letters to her. And while he's doing this, he's like developing the photos that he took. And then he like cuts them out with an exacto knife and places them together, like kind of collaging them together and then taking a photo of the photo mm-hmm. and printing that out. So it looks like it's pre Photoshop. Yeah, yeah. He's doing manual photo manipulation. And he eventually comes up. He, there's We see this photo of him with what I assume was like an ex-girlfriend or something like that. Yeah, we never find out who this girl in this picture but is. But he then puts 
Laura's head on top of the head of the other girl. Mm-hmm. And then so like now he has this photo of the them together as if they were a couple. And Laura's head is too big for it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, her head is too big and she looks distressed. She looks very distressed. Yeah. <laughs> kind of looks like a hostage photo. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then next thing we see that Laura is at a gas station, you know, getting gas. And he just shows up at the gas station to ask her out for dinner. He's like, I'm getting pretty hungry. How about you? And she just basically tells him to fuck off. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is CBS Tuesday night movie. So yeah. she doesn't say fuck off. But in so many words, she says fuck off. And the attendant is watching, and he's like, oh, she's my girlfriend. It's just a lover's quarrel. And she's just like, hey, he's not my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then speeds off. And then, like, that psycho look of him, like, looking into the middle distance with, like, the spooky music oh, yeah. comes back on. And it's just, he just doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. And so it, this immediately follows Laura getting home and going into the apartment. And we see now that she has, like, four or five locks on her door. Mm-hmm. And Richard has followed her home. Yeah. You know, she looks out the window and there's this conspicuous ass gigantic that's, truck just That's the only up. thing. Like he drives this most, the most conspicuous car you can imagine again because of the number of headlights and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like she knows when he's watching her. Laura realizes at this point, she's like, I need to move like as soon as possible. And her roommate insists on going with her so that she isn't alone. And because she doesn't want Richard to keep coming around thinking that Laura still lives there. Yeah. And she's like, don't leave me here with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they move to a gated community with a lot of additional security. And then um, the next thing that we see is that Nancy comes by Richard's apartment to offer him some leftover pizza. I think like anchovy and pineapple yeah. or something that her daughters were having. That's disgusting. <laughs> That's fucking gross. Her daughters are actually the Ninja Turtles, you see. Well, then they would have been having like marshmallows and Those, sardines yeah, and stuff. <laughs> the Ninja Turtles ate pizza like how they made pizza in Return of uh, the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah, that's a fair point. The tomatoes are outlawed. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to talk about that movie. <laughs> but yeah, so she, she comes over to offer, and Nancy is his landlord slash co-worker. Mm-hmm. She offers him the pizza, and he's there just like cleaning a shotgun. Yeah, cleaning a big-ass fucking shotgun. And she's just like, we said, no guns in my house. Get that thing out of here. And he's just like... Very reassuring, creepily saying... I'll take care of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If someone has, if if you walk in on somebody cleaning a gun and you say like, you can't have that here and they go, I'll take care of it. Leave. Yeah. (laughs) Leave immediately. Uh But you know, at this point now we've established this fucker has a gun. Yeah. Foreshadowing. And so at work, Laura has had to readjust her whole schedule to stay away from Richard and is working to get a security clearance for a potential promotion. And then later, after she leaves, Richard breaks into her office and just starts going through her stuff. Like, he has half an orgasm when he sits in her chair. Like, he settles into her chair and he's like, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> And then he, he picks up her trash can and just, like, dumps it on the desk and starts going through it. And there is a tissue in it that has her uh, lipstick right. on it. And he takes it. And he just, like, kind of makes out with it a little bit. Like, he just presses Mm -hmm. it really, really hard to his lips and stuff. I'm sure he pressed it other places after, too. Oh, boy. But, yeah, so when he's going through her stuff, as we mentioned, she was applying for more security clearance. She had this application on her desk that has, like, 
every personal aspect about her life you could possibly imagine because you know she's mm-hmm. trying to get government security clearance yeah so it's unfortunately like a stalker's treasure trove oh yeah it's got her new address it's got her parents address and it has the name and address of all of her siblings right. and just all of her past history mm-hmm. And, you know, the next thing that we see is that Laura is leaving for work one day and Richard, like, she sees that something is taped to her windshield. That never comes up again. Mm -hmm. But he, like, flings himself onto her windshield and starts, like, knocking on it. And he's like, hey, I really like your new apartment. It's much more secure. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And, you know, she says, like, I'm going to call the cops. You go away. And he just, like, brushes that off and he gets mad. He's like, you know, the holidays are coming up and you haven't sent me a Christmas card yet. <laughs> like, like, what the fuck? Like, oh, my God. And he starts flaunting that he knows, like, all the minute details about where her sisters are living. And he's like, I know all about you trying pot in high school. And if we're going to have a relationship, I need you to promise you are never going to do drugs yeah. again. She tells him, like, to stop, and then he threatens that he'll go after her sisters or her mother. Yeah, this is, like, the first indication that he will go to pretty much any length. He's going the distance. He's going the distance. He's crazy. He, you know, understatement. Yeah. I don't think we have words for how crazy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's words to describe. Like, you know how there's, like, the Richter scale? Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a scale for stalking. Yeah. But he's definitely reaching that peak level. The the, the Richard scale? The Richard scale. Let's go with the Richard scale. <laughs> but, I mean... Starts with blueberry bread, and it goes to threatening your siblings. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the Richard scale. Well, it goes from blueberry bread, and then it goes up to... Murdering, murdering a bunch of people and saying yeah. you did this yeah there, there there's a whole scale and he's covered the spectrum of it but i mean i think we need to take a moment again to appreciate how great richard thomas is in yeah. this like he really like it's really really over the top but in my past i've i've dated someone who was crazy mm-hmm. and it was it, it is like that where yeah. you say things and they just keep going yeah you know, like undeterred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has this amazing ability throughout all this. Every time she kind of real talks him and says, either I'm going to call the cops or there's nothing between us. You can see that for a moment that information starts to be processed in his brain and then he just immediately evacuates it and changes the topic and so after he he threatens like her sisters and her mother she's she gets out of the car and strip asks him like is does he want to kill her does he want to you know do the r word on mm-hmm. her and he just gets up close to her and he says it as creepily as possible that they were meant to be together forever right. that he just knows that mm-hmm and, you know, he just walks away and she gets in her car and that's the end of it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and now it's Christmas and Laura is back in Virginia visiting her family and she is really, really on edge. And she even breaks an ornament when the doorbell rings and she's kind of snapping at people yeah. a little bit. And so the doorbell rings. It's a delivery man with a package for Laura. And it's that weird exacto knife collage picture that mm-hmm. Richard had made with our summer vacation in a heart like cross stitched. Yeah. Our summer vacation. Yeah. Just creating these fake memories that mm-hmm. they had. Like what the 
fuck? And uh-huh. and so later that night, she tells her dad everything, and he he offers to come out to California to mm-hmm. look after her, which is really sweet. But, you know, he suggests that maybe she should just work somewhere else. I mean, she just kind of refuses to change her life because of him saying again, like, I refuse to be his victim. This Mm -hmm. is my career. And she insists at this point that she will make HR listen this time Mm because now she's she's she has a ton of evidence. Right. And so, like, the next thing we see, she is back in HR. She's got witnesses at this point. She's got letters. She's got pictures. But they don't want to jeopardize his security clearance Mm -hmm. and they said that they'll restrict him and offer him counseling that he'll have to do or he'll be fired right but then she offers the same counseling to laura yeah so even then now that they're starting to take it a little bit more seriously there's still this whole like yeah but you're part of it part of this like you probably led him on kind of an yeah. attitude. She even says, you don't get it, lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need counseling. I just need him to leave me alone. Right. There's just so much gaslighting going mm-hmm. on here, like with HR and especially with him. Yeah. Like, you know, at, at some point, I would really start questioning what the fuck is reality anymore? Am I imagining all this? Right. Am I living in fucking crazy world? Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Like, again, every time he talks to her, he talks to her from this perspective of like, we have this relationship. This is a thing. Yeah. Why do you keep denying it? When she offers the counseling to Laura, too, she also starts victim blaming her again. Mm-hmm. Like, she even says, you know, that they can't say what he can do outside of work. But she's like, maybe at the aerobics class, you know, the clothes. Yeah. Might be invitational to him. Like wearing workout clothes while you're working out. What the fuck? Yeah. After that, I think, you know, it just kind of ends with Laura in complete disbelief. Mm -hmm. And then it transitions to a later date where Laura is at a bar with all of her girlfriends and she's met a guy. Yeah. And man, when she walks away from him, he gives her butt like a real ocular pat down. Like, ooh. (laughs) You know, she's just kind of hanging out with the girls and stuff. And, you know, she says, uh, I need to go to the ladies' room. And she goes to the bathroom. And guess who comes into the ladies' room? That just comes in, bursts in. Oh, yeah, he bursts in. You know, he says, like, I, what was, there's like a a title for the counseling thing. Yeah, there's a name for this program. It's like Project Something. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not doing another day of that ever. And then he says, like, no one has any idea who you're messing with. Mm Mm-hmm really making a lot of threats and then he like explodes and he he smacks the hand towel holder and it goes into right the, the wall yeah he, he smacks it off the wall and mm-hmm. it goes into the mirror and it breaks the fucking mm-hmm. mirror i mean i'm sure that they didn't plan for that but it's like oh yes richard good energy <laughs> and then he immediately like switches around back to this like really ultra calm voice and he's like why do you want to know how far i will go mm-hmm. and he's like he's like is it because you want to win mm-hmm. is that what it is but she just wants to do her job and be left alone to do her job like that's it not in his mind he's created this whole alternate universe where like they have a relationship but she keeps screwing him over yeah and like making a mockery of him and it's all her fault he he has her like cornered in the bathroom and a lady comes in and he like turns her split second he's like get out of here Uh (laughs) it is really fascinating how he'll like do this like really calm voice and then he'll yell and then he turns right back onto the calm Mm -hmm. voice like i feel like that is i mean the movie's played really really melodramatic and everything but when i see him do that it's very very real and i think that honestly the way he acts in this is kind of triggering yeah it is like it's really upsetting in some ways but then it's just like 
it's Richard Thomas. Right. And and it is like over the top and funny and mm-hmm. stuff, but like he's doing crazy really well. Yeah. But you know, after he he yells at the lady who tries to come into the bathroom, he just tells her that, you know, he might just do something that'll scare them both. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what he's capable of doing. Like he's gone from zero to 100 in record breaking time, but he kind of started at like 20. Yeah. So he's like, at what, 140 now yeah, or something? Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. And then, you know, he leaves and you get some really melodramatic crying from Brooke Shields. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing we see is that Richard is getting grilled by HR, who he thinks has no say in what he does outside of work or his relationships in general. He really does believe that they are in a relationship. Yeah. And so the, the head of HR says, you know, you can get fired for sexual harassment. And he says, if I got fired, I would have nothing to live for. And she is just like, no, you know, we want you to stay right. here. She's trying to be very sympathetic, being like, you know, you got yourself in a tough situation here, but we don't want to have to fire you. So don't make us fire you. And she's doing all that she can to get him to just drop the Laura thing. And but he just out of nowhere is like, I have guns. I'd kill myself and I'd take others with me. And she just like pauses and she says, Rich, are you saying that if you got fired, you would kill me? And he just goes, yes, but not just you. Others would go too. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, lady, maybe you shouldn't have judged that slutty smile of hers. You know, like what the fuck? And it shows you how extreme he was even by those days standards. Because there they are. Like here he's been harassing her for months, if not years at this point, right? He burst into a women's restroom at at a bar and like started breaking stuff and harassing her there. Mm-hmm. Like, all these things should have gotten fired. Even at that point, the HR is really like, please don't make us fire you. Just whatever you do in this interview, don't threaten to kill us. Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't want to have to fire you. And he just doubles down, no, I'm going to kill all of you. Like, ah, damn it, we have to fire you now. <laughs> so the next thing you see, of course, Richard is being escorted from the building with all of his belongings. And the HR head comes in and tells Laura that he's been fired. She tells Laura that she should probably leave work right now and go somewhere for a few days and charge the expenses to the company. Like, she's just like, Richard Farley's been fired. Um, Do you have anywhere you can go mm-hmm. for a while? I might want to run and hide because he talked about killing people. Yeah. You should probably find a bunker somewhere. Uh-huh. I feel like this would have been improving. You know, you hear about lists. Like, how does someone not end up on a list after that? You oh, yeah, know? especially when this was, like, a government. Yeah, totally. Thing. Like, this is the kind of guy, like, hey, FBI or whoever, like, keep an eye on this one. Yeah. If he starts buying a bunch of weapons, uh, you might want to look into that. Yeah. But after he gets let go, like, as soon as he is out the door, he goes right to Togo's. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get fired from work, a lot of guys might go to the bar, have like a, a beer. A beer, maybe something a little harder. It's been a rough day. Yeah, get some whiskey or something. He uh, gets a large diet cola. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a Coke, a cola. Yeah. And there's a few other dudes there that are from work, and one in the group has also been fired that day. And so they go around and they give that kind of like, you know what, that company's yeah, going down the toilet. Maybe commiserating. Yeah, and... like someone should go and teach them a lesson. Right. And then Richard, who's just kind of like stirring his his uh-huh. co- his diet cola around, he's like, "Hey, um, you know if those doors are bulletproof?" Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and the crazy thing, so these two guys, like one of them was fired, the other one was a guy named Larry Kane, mm-hmm. who we see later in the movie. This really did happen. This conversation did occur. 
where he was talking to these people and he just starts talking about like you know are these things bulletproof and that kind of stuff and they thought he was joking why the fuck would you joke about that i don't know but they thought he was joking but no this really happened and, you know, obviously the people who were talking to him about it didn't think he was going to do it because, after all, I mentioned one of the guys was Larry Kane. Larry Kane was the first person to be killed by Richard. Right. So, you know, this, it's as weird and disturbing as it, as it was that this conversation occurred. It really happened. And once again, where's the list? Yeah. Where's the list? Put, put this guy on a list. Yeah. Like, as soon as they left, they should have called yeah. or something. Because the thing is, is that the actual Richard Farley, like, People were scared of him. Yeah. He was a like an intimidating, big, weird guy. Like, he looked nothing like Richard Thomas. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just like, locker room talk. What rooms are bulletproof? What rooms are... Oh, you know, yeah. you, you just chat. You know, talk about girls. Talk about shooting up your workplace. You know, fun yeah. stuff. Hmm. And so at a later date, we see Richard come up to Laura in the parking lot again at work. And he's like, you know, I'm a free man. You know, you can tell he's a free man. He's got his hoodie on. Mm-hmm. He's got his sweatpants. You know, he's living his life. Yeah. And, you know, he's still trying to get her to go on a date with him, but she just ignores him again. And this is when she finds out later when she goes back into the building, he wasn't even fired for harassing her. Mm -hmm. He was fired because, like, his quality of work had slipped. Yeah. Because... He's harassing her. I I don't even know if his quality of work actually slipped. I think it really was the company just trying to avoid any potential legal liability for the things he was doing. So it's kind of like when O.J. Simpson was stealing back that memorabilia and they hit him with that really, really long prison sentence. It wasn't about the memorabilia. No, I, I mean, it was it was the company like if it was seen that, OK, we fired him for sexual harassment which means we admit he was sexually harassing someone. Okay, is there a paper trail of us being aware of this in the past? Yes, there is, and we did nothing about it. Oh, we could potentially be sued. Mm-hmm. Let's instead just say his quality of work slipped in that way, like we wash our hands of this whole situation. Oh, that's gross. But, you know, we see that he sends Laura a letter at a later date, and it's a, a, it's a voiceover again mm-hmm. with him going about town doing what it is that he does, and he's like... Thank you for getting me fired. And like basically telling him like, I'm living my best life now. I have a new job. And he's like, he's taking classes. Yeah, life's great. I'm doing great. Everything's looking up. He even says like, you're the beneficiary on my life insurance. <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, absolutely nothing has changed. He is still like so obsessed with her. Like, it's hard to tell in this like how much time has passed. But, you know, it's enough to where he's doing all this yeah. other so, stuff. So in the real world scenario, what happened is the stalking occurred over a four-year period. And for two of those years, he was working at ESL. Mm-hmm. And then two years after that, he had been fired, but he was still stalking her. Gotcha. And something not covered in this movie was during some of that period of time, he actually had a girlfriend. No shit. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Who had no idea about the extent of what was going no, on. No, that always happens. Like, whether it's a serial killer or whatever. Like, so many serial killers have, like, oblivious families right. and stuff. Like, that's so... Oh, my God. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. And so we see Laura going on a date with the new guy that was looking at her butt a while back. And they're talking about Richard. And he's like, you know, you should get a restraining order. And she's like, well, he basically leaves me alone now. And then when she says that, guess who shows up at the restaurant? Mm -hmm. Like her date is like, I'm going to go talk to him. But she's like, no, just ignore him. And later her date, because he's really disturbed by this, he tries to teach her how to load a pistol, Mm -hmm. which is smart. And he tells her straight up, like he insists, if you shoot him, empty the clip on him. He's given some quality advice there. So yeah, he gives her this pistol in case he, he, you know, 
Richard shows up at her place. Yeah. She doesn't even want to entertain the notion yeah, of it. Yeah, but lo and behold... Yeah, her date leaves, and guess who breaks into her garage later that night to leave a note under her uh, windshield, windshield wiper, wiper? Yeah, totally. Rather than in her mailbox or anything like that. Like, oh my god, like, she has the gun behind her back, and she considers shooting him while he's just blathering on about them going in on something and being yeah, partners. Yeah, like, you, uh, I've got some investment opportunities. We should be partners. So. She should have fucking shot him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, in retrospect, she yeah. should have. So we see that Laura gets her promotion, and um, she still needs to get her security clearance, though, to get that promotion, which is being hindered by all the Richard Farley shit. Like, her superior, Chris, insists you should just get that restraining order, and Richard then gets served with a temporary restraining order at work. Yeah, and this is the absolute breaking point for him. Yeah. For some reason, after everything that happened, after so many times being told, obviously she has no interest in you, mm -hmm. getting a restraining order is like, that snaps. That makes him snap. Mm -hmm. He goes totally nuts. And what we see next is kind of the build up to... Yeah. You know, the final, you know, the final action he takes. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of final straws. This was the final, <laughs> final straw. The yeah. first final straw was not getting the sandwich. <laughs> it started with the sandwich and it ended with the restraining, restraining order. order. The temporary restraining order. Mm -hmm. So we see that Laura does have a court case coming up with Richard, but is kind of scared to go. She's talking to her lawyer. And while she's doing this, Richard is selling his truck he is buying a bunch of guns and over 2,000 rounds of ammunition. Yeah. And when the dude at the gun store is a bit confused and mm -hmm. concerned, like, that's when you know well, yeah, some when, shit's when, when the gun store owner is like, that's a lot of ammo you're buying. Yeah, he's like, I need 2,000 rounds of Which, ammunition. Which, again, goes back to, like, one of his defenses later on when, you know, he's on trial is mm -hmm. he, he claims that it was going to be a suicide. Oh, yeah, I was going to kill myself. I don't know what his sense of his own strength was yeah. i'm a big boy and it's like it's like killing an elephant i couldn't find a big enough caliber bullet so i just thought i'll go with a lot two thousand ought to do it yeah he goes and he buys an rv for me and my wife laura mm -hmm. he says it's not really certain like why he chose an rv like did he think he was gonna get away and he'd be on the lamb or something i don't i think I don't know. he he wanted it as some sort of like mobile, mobile prep station mobile command center yeah it was gonna oh be his command God. center you know he, he he drives up to the office in it he can do all of his like prep work to get suited up as we'll see yeah he does like his whole joel schumacher batman yeah <laughs> suit up part and then he goes into kai and then he walks past one of the dudes that he saw at the sandwich shop what was his name larry larry the larry's coming out while he's going in and larry's just like you can't be serious and then Richard turns to him, and he's just like, hey, Larry, cowboys and Indians, and he shoots him. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know either. I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah. From what I've read, that exchange didn't actually happen. Oh, yeah. Didn't but... he just come out, and, and it scared Richard Farley, yeah. and he just, like, shot him because he was right. spooked? But, yeah, and here he, he has his one catchphrase, which is cowboys and Indians. Which, yeah, I don't understand. Lame. Yeah. I don't even know what it means. I don't know what it means. I guess because that's a game where little kids play with toy guns. I don't whatever, know. whatever. But I mean, you know, this whole thing, there's been a lot of foreshadowing about like the security. This is mm -hmm. a very secure place. You need all this security clearance to get through these doors. He just shoots a door and walks in. <laughs> it's definitely kind of like video game logic. Oh, yeah. 
And then, you know, we get to a really, really long and unfunny sequence of him kind of just waddling around and shooting people and people being, like, scared. And there were some characters earlier where it was like, oh, we got to sign this card because their anniversary is coming up. Of course they get fucking killed. Yeah. (laughs) Signed it right there. Yeah, but it's just, like, him marching through this office building and people just kind of doing their work and he just shoots them with a shotgun. Yeah. And it, it's kind of surreal watching it as well because, like, as we've referenced, I've I have corporate I've worked corporate jobs, and you know, part of working a corporate job is you have to take certain trainings, and we've had to do like training for what if an active shooter ever comes in the office, and the mm. video they make you watch, it's basically like this, right? Really? Like, what if this guy just shows up and he's got a shotgun and he's just walking through the halls shooting people? Yeah, very listlessly shooting people. Yeah. Like, there's. It's like fucking the second half of Stalking Laura, directed by Gus Van Sant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the comedy kind of ends at this point. Yeah. Briefly reappears later when we get to that. <laughs> yeah. And he goes to Laura's office and he shoots her in the shoulder and then he just leaves like it's nothing. Yeah, he kind of assumes she's dead at this point, so he he just kind of moves on yeah the shooting is played really really straight but it has like you know the weird stuff of like when people get shot they fly back several Mm -hmm. feet and the tone just feels kind of off and there's like synth music over it, like dark wave synth Mm -hmm. music it actually sounds pretty fucking cool i i I like the soundtrack for Mm -hmm. this part and it's by no means an action movie or anything like that it's just you know, he there's a part where he's just wandering around shooting computer monitors. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of realistic in that sense. And Laura isn't dead. She comes to and she starts wandering around trying to find a phone that like will dial out. And she's struggling to breathe and she's finding dead friends. And uh, this is like a Brooke Shields Oscar moment, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> this is her Leonardo DiCaprio with clawed up throat mm-hmm. in The Revenant. Yeah. Brooke Shields with shot shoulder. Uh-huh. It's on the same level. <laughs> no one talks about The Revenant anymore. Remember that movie? Yeah. And so the SWAT team has come in and they're trying to like triangulate where Richard is and get in, get him in touch with a hostage negotiator. And the hostage negotiator does get him on the phone. And he's like, I'm just trying to make sure I'm talking to the right person right now. And then Richard's just like, yeah, I'm the guy that's shooting everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then Richard goes on to blame all of it on Laura. And he takes on like this really raspy evil guy voice. And he's like, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want any cops sneaking up on me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The cops keep arguing about how to get rich while not taking too many risks and killing more people. Like it's really reminiscent of like the plot of Shin Godzilla. Yeah, where the government (laughs) officials are trying to decide like, do we take the risk? There's civilians involved, all that kind of stuff. Is a lot of your typical cop drama stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he wasn't on the phone long enough for us to get it. You yeah. know, like shit like that, you know, blah, blah. You know how all this stuff mm-hmm. goes. Like, it's all very cookie cutter. But Laura does get a phone and she gets through to the hostage negotiator. He's like, I'm trying to keep this line clear. Mm-hmm. She's like, I've been shot. And he's like, oh, excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who is this? Yeah. You know, she gets on the phone, but she does pass out again. And it shows another cop getting into Rich's RV and he finds like a pipe bomb. Right. And so that leads them to believe that he has more yeah, in the th- building. Yeah, at this point they think he's like rigged up the building with yeah. explosives. So Laura gets on the phone with the negotiator once again, but then she has to hang up and hide because Richard comes into the room. He grabs a phone and he starts making threats and like 
he's he's still talking about Laura and blaming Laura, and this time she's in the room to hear it. Mm-hmm. And so that takes on another level of just like this is the most surreal, horrible fucking yeah. And he even basically says like nobody would be dead if she would have just went in on a date with me. Mm-hmm. Like, what a fucking stupid loser. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the things that you got to make fun of these people. I mean, sure. horrible things happen, but, you know, don't treat them like they're scary or anything like that. They're fucking yeah, losers. Yeah, don't give them power. Yeah. I mean, I live to make fun of uh, Elliot Roger. Rogers. Yeah. I have a BMW. Mm-hmm. So Laura is able to sneak out of the building at this point, and then she gets taken to the hospital. And there's even one point where someone on the SWAT team is like, what's your name? And she's like, Laura Black. And they have that look across their face like, oh, my God, this is because of her. Yeah. Hey, everyone, it's her. Oh, my God, it's the girl. Uh-huh. Richard gets on the thing again. He yeah, gets he's on- talking to the negotiator. And at this point, he's like tired and sweaty. That's a very sweaty man. Uh-huh. And they're like, you know, what can we give you? Like, yeah. he's, you know, he's trying to make a deal with them. And like, what does he want more than anything? You know, uh-huh. some people are like, I want $5 million. Yeah, not him. He, he only wants the best. He only wants the best. <laughs> he's like, I want I want a diet cola. I want a, the, he's like, I want a large quart sized cup of diet cola with a lot of ice in it. Cause I like to chew it mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said we'll trade a few guns for it and he's like i also want a sandwich the number 26 it's the best <laughs> <laughs> he's committed to that number 26 yeah and they basically make the idea of like okay we'll go to make the trade and then as soon as you see him shoot him right and he's just really focused on the sandwich and that is when he mentions Togo's by yeah, name. Yeah, that's when we hear the name. Apparently, they didn't mind being tied to this. I'm well, sure it was perfect you know, for them. Grape Nuts doesn't mind. Togo's <laughs> yeah. not either. And then he just keeps whining to the negotiator about how mean Laura was to him. And while he's whining, it shows her getting operated on in the ICU. Right. Like, oh my God. Because they, they mentioned this, like, Laura, she was shot in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Her lung had collapsed yeah. as well from this. Like, she's bleeding a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the real life, Laura, you know, she had to get multiple surgeries yeah. and had limited mobility in that arm because mm-hmm. of it. And he just keeps on about this sandwich and then finally agrees to throw a few guns out of a window in exchange for it. And they say, well, we still don't know how to get the sandwich to you. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, oh, oh yeah. The one flaw. The one flaw. Why don't you just come down and get it? And... You know, he's like, so you want me to give up? He's like, yeah, you can teach computers at the jail. Mm-hmm. Teach computers. Teach computers in prison. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Rich, I got the Diet Cola right here, and the ice is melting. Oh, ice is melting. Yeah, he's like, the ice oh, is melting. I can't chew on it if it's water. I'm coming down. Yeah, you <laughs> like, convinced me. That was the one thing to get. Like, Rich does finally come down, and he's arrested, and he's read his Miranda rights, and at the end, and they're like, do you understand this? He just turns, and he's like, where's my sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it right back up. Yeah. got down, you bring it right yeah, back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. It's dark. You know, it's a funny movie. Then the shooting starts, and it gets really dark. And then Rich's second love. First love is Laura. Second love, the number 26 sandwich comes back. It's the best. It's the best. And suddenly the movie's funny again. Oh, my God. But, you know, then, of course, he gets taken away, you know. But before he goes, he gets the goddamn sandwich. And he looks at the negotiator. He's like, do you think Laura will remember all this? <laughs> it's just like, I have no fucking words. But, yeah, he gets taken away. 
There's a thing that pops up on the screen that says that he was found guilty and is on death row and that Laura pulled through and she still she was still working for the company when this thing was made. Mm-hmm. And then it also says that in the wake of this case, California passed the first anti-stalking laws, which we mentioned earlier. And that's the movie. Mm-hmm. It just ends right there with all the cops and everything. And if you watch the original CBS airing, right afterwards, Brooke Shields pops up at the end to give a PSA about stalking and gives like a hotline to call for the National Victim Center. Like this was a very, very real thing. And like on the CBS thing, if you watch it, they're like, you know, coming up after the movie, you know, wi- women yeah. taking back control. Yeah, there was, there was kind of like a cross promotion that the mm-hmm. the news that night, they were going to have a segment about like women who had been stalked and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, well, then it shows like women being armed and like the right. thing, it shows like a woman and she's like pointing a gun right at the screen and is like pulling the trigger yeah. and stuff. It's like, that's not safe. Mm-hmm. Always treat a gun as if it's loaded. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the movie. I mean, it was a really serious thing, but it's just, it's so melodramatic. It's such a product of its time. Yeah. And I don't know. There's something about it that I really like. Yeah, I I think part of it is also like it comes from an era like it was made in the early 90s. It was like the last vestiges of the made for TV movie event. Yeah. Right. Like that, that those kinds of movies, we tend to forget something like it was a TV movie. Like there, there was a long history of TV movies being notable, being an event. And it's not really a thing anymore. And this is, it's, it harkens back to that era. And what's great about it is it got that because of it's a TV movie, it's that it rides that line of like melodramatic soap opera TV show. Yeah. But it's a movie, you know, Mm -hmm. it it kind of like it's higher quality than the average TV show at the time, but it's still not like a Hollywood movie. It's it's, it's got this kind of campy vibe to it. It's something that just kind of doesn't exist anymore because, I mean, we have like Netflix originals and Amazon originals. But those look a lot more like Hollywood productions than TV productions. And they, you know, they don't have to adhere to like, oh, a kid might turn this on or something like that. And, you know, we don't have cable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't had cable in a really, really long time, but I... I do think as far as I know like I know that they're still making Hallmark movies and Lifetime movies and things like that but they aren't like this no it's not a movie of the week kind of thing Mm -hmm. where it's this kind of larger network tv event and just it's it's so fascinating to see something like this and it's brooke shields and richard thomas yeah they're uh it's an odd couple the casting is great you know they really make it um we said it before i mean brooke shields is great in it but richard thomas's performance he's incredible yeah he really is captivating i gotta say (laughs) he's very captivating (laughs) he's captivating like how he plays crazy it's just so much fun and of course like stalking is a very very serious thing Mm -hmm. and people just acting crazy towards you if if you have had to deal with that you know i have to i'm really sorry you know i know that it sucks and i know it's like really stupid to just say oh well that sucks but you know what the fuck else can you say but at the end of the day you know we get through these things Mm -hmm. with the help of grape nuts with the help of grape nuts So we found this movie as like a, we just like went down a rabbit hole because it is on Amazon Prime right now. You can watch it for free if you have Amazon Prime. And I think it was, we watched Single White Female Mm -hmm. and then it was like customers also watch. And then you do that, we do this thing sometimes where you just tap on something and then you keep tapping and you see what you find. Yeah, you go several layers deep of like people who watch this, watch this. And then from there you 
people watch this watch this and you do that like five or six times you can find the weirdest stuff like we found this exploitation movie was it called like behind the fifth door or something seventh door, I think behind it, the seventh yeah. door i'm gonna talk about that one at yeah. some point because that one was really fascinating but that, that's the thing about prime like unlike netflix mm-hmm. prime has this amazing back catalog of weird movies oh yeah they have just random shit yeah and so when you go deep into those you know people who viewed this also viewed this you can find some weird gems absolutely and so if you like that sort of like crunchy sort of like wooden soap opera (laughs) sort of melodramatic if you like the melodramatic i mean i'd say definitely check it out it's a very it's a surreal experience watching it Mm mm-hmm and, you know, if you really, really want the full experience, you should really check out the one that has all the commercials intact because then you can feel like you're really back in 93. Yeah. I mean, I would say if you do like single white female, you'd probably like this sort of thing. It's not as, like, silly and over the top. I don't really know what to pair this movie with, actually. Yeah, that's a tough one. Kind of stands on its own. Yeah. I mean, if you like Richard Thomas and It, you should really fucking watch this. And Yeah. In general, if you liked the It made for TV movie, movie mm-hmm. we've got a made for tv movie for you because this is around the same time and it's it's i don't i can't even explain why i like this movie yeah it's weird um there's just some charm about it all i can say is you know check it out and see mm-hmm. if it just captures you the way it captured us because it's one of those things we started watching it with no expectations for it we were just like hey it's richard thomas it's the guy from it yeah it's the guy from let's, it let's check this out and you know obviously we we just got pulled in we've maybe seen this movie like four or five times now yeah there's something about this movie that we just keep coming back to so that's stalking laura connor thank you so much for joining me again yeah, i'm happy I to didn't expect us to talk about it this much <laughs> i mean we talked longer than the uh movie is so i kind of thought it would happen given how much we enjoy this movie yeah i'm not going to make the same mistake this time by saying join me next week that's why this one's coming out when it does because i accidentally said join me next week last time okay on my next episode uh this is kind of a long time coming for me because if you know my shop ghouls only press at all you know that a lot of my merch is based on the 1977 psychedelic horror movie from toho house that's gonna be the next episode so join me then it's gonna be a fun one and until then i still haven't come up with a sign off thanks for joining me connor you're welcome and for those listeners out there please leave reviews for this podcast this just helps uh this podcast get more of an audience and hopefully introduces more people to interesting movies like stalking laura you know i should probably be promoting my podcast a little bit more than i do probably a good idea but yeah if you if you want to like leave a review that'd be really cool if you want to support my shop that'd be pretty cool too if you want to follow me on instagram that'd be pretty cool if you did absolutely anything except stalk me that'd be cool please don't fucking stalk me (laughs) i am not worth it all right thanks everyone see you later thanks for listening to ghouls only cast lightly written produced and hosted by me meg music by dan lucas follow me on instagram at ghouls only press you can support this podcast by supporting my shop ghoulsonlypress.com stay cool ghoul (laughs) 